0: Hello. Here's a question for you. Are you looking forward to your next drink? This might be because you're having one now, listening to me, and you're already committed to having at least one more. Or maybe you're listening the morning before a hard day's work, during which you'll keep yourself going by the thought of a congratulatory beer. Or perhaps it's midweek for you. And you're enjoying that feeling of getting tantalisingly closer to that TGI Friday moment of abandon. Or maybe, after the excesses of the festive season, you've embarked on dry January, having already promised yourself a bit of a session on February the 1st. So, when you think about it, assuming you are a drinker, the prospect and promise of booze is a big part of your life. So does that mean you have an alcohol problem? I think the answer of my guest on this edition of Bridges will be yes and no and maybe. Not because he's indecisive or because he's drunk, but because having the right relationship to alcohol is a little bit more tricky than you might think. This is Bridges to the Future, the Big Ideas podcast, brought to you by the RSA with your host, Matthew Taylor. So I'm delighted to welcome my old friend and, it has to be admitted, drinking buddy, Adrian Charles onto Bridges to the Future. We are old friends, but we're going to try to avoid this conversation making it feel like you're eavesdropping on two old codgers down the pub together. (laughs) So, uh, Adrian, thanks for joining us. How are you? Yes, all good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Now, Adrian, I great admire of you as a broadcaster. You've made all sorts of programs on all sorts of topics. Why is this the one that you chose, not just to make a television program about, but to write a book about?
1: Well, as you know, I mean, to be cynical about it, it was the only topic on which I was invited to write a book by a publisher. (laughs) You know, we don't decide these things. Publishers or TV commissioners or whatever decide who writes what or who broadcasts what. I just thought, having made a TV documentary about drinking, about specifically my drinking, I realised I'd sort of blundered into an important area which, you know, in summation is that, you know, you can be drinking an awful lot and you could be drinking every day, you can be like I was you could, you know, couldn't imagine a social occasion without drinking yet just because you don't conform to some stereotypical cartoon image of the problem drinker or this thing we call an alcoholic, because you're not waking up in a skip or drinking sherry on your cornflakes or whatever then you haven't got a problem when in fact you sort of might have
0: Yeah, and that's a kind of recurrent theme in the book is your frustration, in a sense, with people's inability to recognize that having an issue or a problem with alcohol does not necessarily mean you're an alcoholic. And equally, Uh the way of addressing the fact that you've got an issue or a problem with alcohol is not always abstinence. That is something you keep coming back to. Yeah,
1: well, for a start, you know, and I'm not picking a fight here, particularly not with Alcoholics Anonymous who do great work. But clinically speaking, there isn't really a, such a thing as alcoholism or an alcoholic. You know, it's not the kind of expression clinicians use any more than they use the word smokeaholic to describe somebody who smokes 80 a day or a heroinaholic. The idea of the alcoholic, the ism, it makes it sound like a disease which you have either have or haven't got. And I, I just think, that kind of, in a way, reduces it to a binary absurdity, and I think it's actually very simple. The more I, the more I think about it, the more I think it's actually very simple. You know, if you're drinking twenty units of alcohol a week regularly, you're a little bit addicted. If you're drinking fifty units a week, you're much more addicted. If you're drinking a hundred units a week, like I was, then you're very addicted to it, and. Whether or not I was waking up in a skip or not is kind of beside the point. I was better off waking in my own bed. But in terms of my dependence on alcohol as a drug, I was just the same as anyone else who had a drinking that much.
0: And you're ambivalent, it seems to me, in in the book about the notion of alcoholism as a disease. You're, you you kind of get where it's coming from because it's about not blaming the victim, and treating people in a way which recognizes that they're probably drinking far too much because there are other issues in their lives. But you're not entirely happy with this notion of disease, are you?
1: Well, no, I'm not, and I'm and I'm not the only one. You know, this it's put down very deep roots. This idea. Of the alcoholic and i don't think anyone can clearly define it oh he's a massive drinker but is he an alcoholic i just don't think it matters if you're drinking loads week in week out you are addicted to alcohol and to a great degree and you will probably make yourself ill you know just leave it at that the idea of you know the alcoholism as a thing came from a good place you know to people just taking the blame away from people, saying there's nothing you can do about this. It's not your fault. And and so on, kind of all of which I'd kind of go along with. But the, the, the problem is, is that the idea is put down such deep roots that there's this feeling that the only way of dealing with dependence on alcohol and addiction to alcohol is to stop completely. Now, that is absolutely appropriate for many people, And I've got absolutely no problem with doing that. My problem with it is that people are so frightened of being told that they can't ever drink again when so much of their social life is based around it. But they're frightened of seeking help and being told it's impossible to cut down. The only thing to do is is stop. Then, you know, then they don't attempt to do so. You know, there is a third way.
0: Yeah. And and that took me to what I, I thought was a kind of implicit paradox in the book which was in a sense that that moderation, in your case, drinking a half or a third is as much as you drunk in your pomp. It's harder. It's harder than giving up because giving up is hard for a month or two months, but then it's habitual and people know you're not a drinker and you're in that position where if you did have a drink, everyone would be shocked. So you, you don't do it. But in a sense, and this is the paradox, the reason you've chosen the harder course of moderation rather than abstinence is because you need alcohol so much. Yeah, yeah.
1: You can't live without it. This is absolutely true. This is true. And I think I sort of work with it rather than against it. And also, I can see the benefits in it. I mean, it's a bit like, you know, I did, I've done quite a lot of stuff about religion. And I'm very sort of pro-religion, pro-faith. And... You know, you're constantly being told, you know, by people like my dad, oh, religion's nonsense, it causes all wars. You know, well, okay, you know, biggest killers of the 20th century, you know, uh, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot were, you know, were atheists. Anyway, the argument goes on and on. My point with religion is that it's not the thing itself. It's what you do with that thing. Does religion make you a nicer person or a harder, more intolerant, more kind of tribal person? You know, it's what you do with the thing that is important. It's the same with fire. Fire can consume you or fire can stop you from dying and keep you warm. You can drown in water, but you need it to sustain life. I think, you know, if if I'm making a case for alcohol, I say, you know, as a social lubricant, as a nice thing to enjoy a drink, then it's a good thing. But, you know, if it goes beyond that, then, then it isn't. And I think how and the prism through which we see alcohol has been wrong as this all or nothing black and white thing where you're either, you know, an alcoholic or not. You've just got to
0: keep tabs on it. Yeah, but there is something different, isn't there, about you, I think, in your relationship to alcohol than than I would think most people who enjoy a drink. And that is, I mean, I remember somebody once saying that the average young man can't go five seconds without thinking about sex. But there's something about you and alcohol that's a bit like that in, in the book, is that you know, it isn't just that you enjoy a drink. It, it is that drink is absolutely central to the way in which you interact with people, the way you cope with new experiences, the way you kind of build and foster You know, you admit on a number of occasions in the book, you find it pretty hard to develop an intimate relationship, I mean, a friendship yeah. with someone who doesn't drink. Well, yes. I mean, I think you to get a relationship
1: started because... You know, I don't know sort of what to do with people who you casually meet. So let's go for a drink. If you don't do that, I don't know what you do. Go for a walk. I'd like to do that. But it's sort of kind of, it's not what we do. And I think it is, yes, it is important, but I'm I'm weaning myself off the extremities of that thinking it's absolutely essential. And I think that's one of my tests to sort of how addicted you are, apart from the simple test of how much you're actually drinking every week. I think it is... Do you consider alcohol to be absolutely essential to your experience, to your life? And I don't anymore. I think it's nice and it's not something I want to lose, which is the you know, it's kind of for the love of drinking. I want to moderate because I you know, always want to have access to it when, you know, I'm old and you're even older. You know, I want us to be able to totter off down the pub and stare, you know, glassy-eyed into the distance while we have a couple of pints, you know, boring any passing youths telling them about our past lives oh i want access to that i want to be able to do that i don't want to have to ruin myself by that
0: so i want to come back to this in a second this kind of the journey you've been on but before that the book is you know like your football book it's semi-autobiographical and you know it's interesting knowing you well and reading that you know, I noticed I didn't appear in this book. I did in your last one, but I'll, you know, that's fine. I'll put that to one side. But, but you're not a big enough drinker, that's why. But anyway, <laughs> but, no, exactly. What are the kind of challenges of writing a semi biographical book? Because you know, I know, and I'm not going to get into it. There were things that weren't in the book that could have been in the book. You chose not to put them in. There were things that you kind of, for reasons I fully understand, passages of your life that you kind of slid over quite quickly. Yeah how do you get that right? Because on the one hand, when you write autobiographically, you're kind of saying, look, this is the me. This is the real yeah. me that I'm t- talking about. But on the other hand, it's, it can't be the real you, not because you're not willing to be authentic, but because yeah. if you did tell the whole story, you'd be forcing other people who don't necessarily want to be part of this account. When you say it's semi-autobiographical, I mean, you make it sound as if it's it's sort
1: of, sort of part fiction, which it isn't. It's more like it's part memoir, okay. if you like. And... What I've put in, I think, is the bits that are relevant to drinking, really. Mm. But it's about drinking. I mean, it started off as a drinking self-help book, and I realized to address my relationship with alcohol, you know, I had to end up looking back at the origins of it and, and seeing its role throughout my life. Now, you know, there's stuff in a straight memoir, This Is My Life, then, you know, fair enough, if there's things that have happened to me, big passes in my life I don't include, then you know, it's fair enough to ask why. I mean, it's fair enough to you to ask why now, but kind of that's my answer. It might be a cop-out, but I, I don't think there's anything relevant to my relationship with alcohol that I've left out. I mean, the most basic reason, I got divorced. Alcohol definitely didn't, in quiet ways, didn't particularly help my sort of mental health or, or anything, but not in any way. I mean, my you know my ex-wife and many criticisms of me she would never have described me as a problem drinker i mean drinking wasn't the you know wasn't the part of it. it might have been some minor
0: cause but but you know otherwise not i mean i'm not accusing you mate i'm just interested in the process by which you kind of decide well this is part of this and this isn't part of it isn't yeah. it? and you you explained that but i guess there's a in this kind of question about opening up yourself there's something else so i I wish I could remember which novel it was. Maybe you'll remember. But there's a novel in which there is a central character who drinks too much. And they talk about waiting for the click in their head. And that image has stuck with me, that they would drink and drink until the click in their head. And that click in the head was the point at which they no longer felt whatever they basically always felt about the world, which in my case would be anxiety. So I just can't drink very much. I'm just too old, and I, I just I can't deal with any more. But when I did drink, I know that what I was looking for was the moment I no longer felt the anxiety that I tend to yeah. feel nearly all the time. Now you you do refer to this, Adrian, in the book, but I, because I know you well, I was surprised in a way that you didn't say more about that sense of unease. You don't think part of this story is is that you were drinking to get away from... No. I honestly you, don't. Because you publicly shared your diagnosis of ADHD with people, and you talked about the medication for that. And I remember when I talked to you about that, you talked about, in, in very similar terms, you kind of said, when I took this medication, it was as if something had changed in my brain. I no longer needed constant, constant stimulation. And I it was alcohol wasn't part of that same story. I think it was initially,
1: going back as a teenager, you know, I I tell the story of having the worst time of my life on a German exchange where I had my kind of first drink, some foul-tasting beer on a brewery trip, and it absolutely reframed everything. So in the beginning it did, but then latterly it's it's not been about that for me. And if it is about sort of self-medicating, I'm lucky I only need one or two pints to achieve that. You know, if we, would you know, I wouldn't have written this book and we'd be having a different conversation now if I was the kind of person who needed eight or nine pints to achieve that feeling, oblivion or whatever it is, or the click in the head. It's it's not quite like that with me. You happened upon something in the in the little introduction you did then where you, you said, uh, right at the beginning, you said who's, you know, are you considering the prospect of the promise of your next drink? But that's something I realised a while ago at my own drinking is that it's actually, it's about the prospect and the promise of it rather than actually doing it a lot of the time, rather than the actual drink itself, which I know is kind of all part of the same thing, that anticipatory pleasure. But I think that's worth bearing in mind. And I very quickly realised, you know, that it's only the first drink that matters really. And the second drink, to a certain extent, the first drink, you know, affords you a change in emotional state. And the second drink, less so. Then for me, and I think for many others, if you think about it, all subsequent drinks are just a a futile, vain attempt, a doomed attempt to repeat, to recreate that feeling that the first drink gave you. You know, so... So much of drinking is mindless. It's just chasing that. And I realized of all the drinks I've drunk in my life, right, two-thirds of them, I didn't really particularly enjoy or want or need. So I've just sort of cut them out, really. I've really focused on what I enjoyed.
0: Yeah. and You talk a lot in the book about the importance of alcohol with sociability. And there's a couple of things that I want to get into. I mean, the first is, in a way... You know, for someone reading the book who kind of disagrees with you in the sense that thinks you should be more censorious, who thinks that you should be more encouraging people to abstain, one thing they might say is, look, it's worked for you, Adrian, because in a way, your kind of superpower is your capacity to get on with people. You're, you know, you're a brilliant kind of. Socializer, your capacity to draw people out to, to be interested in people and these are qualities enhanced by drink that in a sense it's been a professional aid to you in a way that it might be pretty irrelevant to other people in other lines of work
1: yeah but yeah that's not that i you know when i'm being interested and curious on the radio i mean i haven't been i haven't been drinking for <laughs> breakfast i just want to i just want to point out but i know what you're saying but i think you know, probably arguing against myself in some way you'll identify. I, don't, I think it's a myth that alcohol is essential to those things. If you struggle with your social skills and you think alcohol really helps you with that, to a great extent, I think that is probably a myth that alcohol has helped create in your own head. I was really moved in the World Cup, looking at the Saudi Arabian fans when they beat Argentina. I'm thinking, are we looking at them? See them them overjoyed, leaping around, absolutely overjoyed, thinking, Oh, poor people. If only they could have had a drink, they'd really be able to celebrate properly. It was a nonsense. You know, if if England, you know, hadn't been knocked out in the quarterfinals and gone on to win it, there'd be England fans in that stadium watching Harry Kane lift the World Cup, who would have had the best night of their lives in that stadium. Were they really going to walk away thinking, Oh, it was great, but it wasn't the same, not being able to drink. If only we had a drink, it would have been better. I mean, it's just, it's just a fallacy that drink
0: sort of kids us on with. But then, in that vein, because in essence, this book is is a very strong argument for moderation. But it is, in many ways, also a defence of alcohol in the sense that a strategy of finding a way to be able to carry on drinking is is your chosen strategy. People who don't drink at all. They're not suffering from false consciousness when they say they don't think they're missing out on anything, do they? I mean, you don't think, do you, that people who don't drink at all secretly harbour wishes to drink or can't quite feel the ecstasy of communality that you feel? You
1: know, I mean, that's that's my exact point about the Saudi Arabian fans. I think they, you know, I I think they absolutely can. I'm actually being interviewed about the book. The interviews I've really enjoyed the most are the ones. By people who've never drunk for whatever reason, and then you just feel so ridiculous talking about the importance of it. I needed to keep drinking because I wanted to keep, I wanted to drink a little bit because you know I think that's what I need to do for my social life. It's built around it, and they're looking at me go, "What is this madness?" <laughs> you, know, you don't, and I absolutely do get that, but you know, I wish it, I wish it wasn't like that with me. But I might as well howl at the moon. You know, for wanting to be otherwise, that just—that's just how it is. So I think there's a healthier, you know, if someone grey, murky area of between abstinence and between drinking a lot. There's, there's drinking less. Some for some reason, with alcohol, everything's got to be black and white. You're either stopped completely, or you've got a massive problem. You know, even now, I'm stopped in the street by people who really watch the program even those who really watch the program might have read the book and they go so you want it at the moment well yes because that was the whole point I was saying that I hadn't given it up but it sort of has to be black and white and this is something I wanted to get at you know people I mean I think the 14 units you know maximum recommended safe guidelines of drinking 14 units a week Right, there's two problems with that. The first one is, is that drinkers like me thought, they don't know what they're talking about, nobody drinks that little. I'm just not going to bother. They don't know what they're on about, I'm not going to bother, or carry on like I am. Right, so, so we've seen it in a black and white fashion. Where what we needed to be told, which happens to be the truth, is that even if you just reduce from 50 to 30 units a week, you are, relatively speaking, doing yourself more relative good than going from 30 to 10 Because that's the way the sort of harm curve works. The other thing is, which I just think is so interesting, is that if you ask any big drinker what percentage of all drinkers are drinking 14 units or less, are drinking within the guidelines, you ask them that question, this is just of all drinkers. So setting aside or anyone who doesn't drink at all, but of all drinkers, what percentage are drinking 40 years or less? You'll get an answer that's somewhere between naught and five percent. Well, the answer is 70%. Right? And even if you allow for a mass margin of error, vast margin of error, it's more than half. So most drinkers are drinking within the guidelines. So us big drinkers are the outliers. We just surround ourselves with other big drinkers to you know with some kind of affirmation, you know we make it our social norm. If you didn't drink a drop, Matthew, we probably wouldn't have ended up lifelong friends, which is terrible, but this is what we do to confirm our own prejudices
0: and is there I'm interested, Andrew, And is you've got two daughters who are young adults,. Oh if they read the book, is there any danger that they'd read the book and think, oh, I see. So you can kind of do 80 or 90 in your units a week when you're in your 20s and your 30s, and then you've got to get it down. And, you know, as long as you give it up in middle age because you can't really take it anymore because yeah. it's, it's really going to screw you up, well, you can get away with this. Because, I mean, that. I think if there was any danger to your book, because the thing is, although your, your message is strong and the way you've articulated it in the book and just now is strong... You do, I have to say, it, Adrian, you read this book and, and you read about some of the times you've had when you've been half cut and you oh. and I envy you. And I think, oh, that look. And you say yourself. The, the reality is yeah. there has been some fantastic nights that you wouldn't have had without alcohol. Yeah. And actually, yeah. when you rate in the book, when you rate how much of the drink was worthwhile... It's a much higher proportion when you were younger. So, yeah, yeah. It, this is a kind of dangerous book in the hands of a young adult who might think, "Oh well, this is great." I mean, yeah. I I can have a fantastic life, like Adrian did, till till yeah. I'm forty, and then I need to cut down a bit. Isn't it just about age? I think there is that danger,
1: but I think you know, I think the more powerful message is like take, you know, as somebody put it in the book, take alcohol off its undeserved pedestal. Right, it's not the be all and end all. It's nice. It's nice, but be careful with it. And the more you drink, the more you risk getting seriously addicted to it. You know, I think that's pretty clear. And also, just you can get more enjoyment from it by drinking less. By just not bothering with the ones that you don't want, need or enjoy. I mean, a really powerful thought came to me, right, speaking in January, about doing dry January, you know, which I've got mixed feelings about or whatever, and how, you know, I've had a heavy Christmas. It just occurred to me, nobody, nobody ever got to New Year's Day or whenever their absence began and and reflects on their drinking over Christmas and what kind of Christmas they have. Nobody ever said, do you know what? I really wish I'd drunk more, right? They might say, oh, I wish I could have done with drinking a bit less. And it's like after a night out, I can't ever think when I've woken up the following morning, think, oh God, I wish I'd drunk more last night. Just doesn't happen. I mean, unless you'd been driving and everyone else seemed to be having a great time and you weren't because you weren't drinking or whatever. But otherwise, you know, we just I mean it sounds obvious. We just drink too much, you know, just drink a bit less and you'll enjoy it
0: more. So, you know, I really enjoyed the book. But I just wanted to end with with one, one point that I think you didn't make. So if you if you'd sent me the draft of the book, I would have said, Oh, there's another point I think you might like here. And that's a point that Charlotte Raven once made about, but she wasn't about alcohol. She was talking about cocaine. Yeah. And what she said was this. She said that that people who take cocaine will tell you that they're wild and reckless people. You know, they're taking a class A drug. They're living in the fast lane. They're doing these crazy things. But actually... The reason you take cocaine is because it makes everything entirely predictable. It makes everybody interesting. It makes you interesting to yourself. And you kind of know you're going to end up at two o'clock in the morning, I think she said, in the Groucho bar, talking to somebody, having the conversation which you think at the time is the most fascinating conversation ever to have happened in the world. And actually the reason you take cocaine is because you're terrified of the evening being boring. You're terrified of it kind of fizzling out. And so actually it's all about... It's a kind of security blanket. And I, I thought that was a powerful one. And when I think about my drinking, I think sometimes drinking is a kind of risk avoidance thing. I think, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to go on with this person. I'm not sure this evening is going to go well. Booze. Booze will take the risk away from the evening. So I suppose I'm saying that in response to your point. Do you ever think, I wish I'd drunk more? No. But I think sometimes you might think, oh, God, that was a bit awkward and tricky. And it wouldn't have been as awkward and tricky if everyone had had a few glasses of wine.
1: Uh, maybe. Maybe. And, you know, I have written, you know, there's quite a lot in there about, you know, drinking as a way of tackling boredom. But that in itself becomes boring, you know. And it does, you know, drinking, I suppose, you know, does make you think, you know, interesting is going to happen. Just being out, something might happen, which means something great might happen tonight. So I'll stay out and since I'm out, I'll carry on drinking. It's all part of the business. I mean, as, you you know, as Sharna Raven put it, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I suppose I wish I'd put it like that. There's, you know, they're certainly similar to alcohol.
0: Well, Adrian, thanks so much for joining me. I've got one last question, which is, how's it going? How's moderation going? Have you stuck with it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I have some, you know, occasionally I have some, you know, I count, I assiduously account what I'm how much I'm drinking. And if I see oh, I've drunk a bit too much there, then I ease off a bit. You know, and I drink probably about 20, 30 units, sometimes less a week. And I enjoy more for that. But this is one of the problems with moderation, you know. There's no beginning or end to it. You know, I can't have an anniversary party for the day I, you know, it's two years since I started moderating. I mean, it's not like you can't, you know, celebrating three years of sobriety or whatever. You know, what is the anniversary? What would you drink at a, at a moderation celebration party? You know, how much would you drink? It's always a work in progress, you know. So, I mean, that is one of the more complicated things about it.
0: I know what we drink, Adrian. We would drink what you and I both order in pubs, which tends to involve having to explain in great detail that you want a half of beer and a half of soda water in yeah. the same pint glass—it's a yeah. remarkably complicated thing to order. But that's a shandy made with soda, I think, is the a uh, shandy. Yeah, you taught me that, and yeah. uh, and, I, and it's what I do. But it, it, it's remarkable how often I get one half of beer and a separate half of soda. Oh, I've got, got you. I've been there. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me, Adrian. Not at all. So I'm still not sure about drink. I do think that if I was strong enough, I could do without, and maybe I'd be fitter, maybe I'd be sharper. But there's a simple problem. If I do stop drinking, I rather fear I won't see as much as I want to of my old mate Adrian.
1: We are the RSA. We enable the game changers of today to shift systems, challenge norms and create impact where it's needed most. Visit the RSA.org slash approach to find out how. And let's make change happen.